From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Joanna, what is this red drink you're drinking? A hibiscus iced tea. Ah, it's like just sitting here in the studio and I was like, <laughs> this is very red. Yeah. <laughs> where's that? A where's refresher. That wow. Adam, you're burying mm-hmm. the lead here. It's Joanna's birthday. Happy birthday, It is Joanna. Joanna's birthday, but it won't be by the time it airs. And That's okay. true. I was like, I don't know if Joanna wanted me to blow up her spot that way. <laughs> that she has a birthday? I mean, she's talked about being a Scorpio a few times on the pod, so I think. Yeah. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. What are you doing? You doing any, going anywhere? Um, no, just to dinner in the neighborhood tonight. Nothing crazy. Anywhere special? Um, just a place we haven't tried before because I've been wanting to try it. Otherwise, we have just some travel coming up for work. Yes. So just keeping it low key. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. You guys are going far. Should be exciting. Yeah, yeah we are. Verona. <laughs> Fair Verona, yeah. where we set our podcast. Yeah. Cool 72 hours in Verona. <laughs> it's going to be so fast. <laughs> so fast. And then back here, I mean, we don't even have to like record in Italy. We're going to be back here to record. So, you know, it's that fast. It's that fast. Well, Zach, what have you been drinking, man? So I had something that weirdly connected amazingly well to a, a topic we, I think, discussed just last week on the Monday pod. Okay. Which was the, pre- or maybe it was two weeks ago. You guys can correct me. The presence of white truffle in a cocktail. So what? Yeah, no. right. I know. I couldn't believe it when I was out to dinner and saw it. So uh, I was out <laughs> with uh, a good friend of mine was in town visiting or well, traveling for work. He works for the New York Giants. Uh, he produces mm-hmm. their radio broadcasts. And so a friend of mine from college mm. and he was here because the Giants played the Seahawks uh, this past week. And sports. Uh, yeah, sports know, ball. that's the, that's the end of the sports portion of the conversation. Joanna. <laughs> cool. But, so he came into town and we had we went out to dinner the night before the game. Uh, which was great. Got a chance to see him. Hadn't seen him in a, in a little while. And we went to a restaurant here in Seattle called the Salt District, which is down by the waterfront, and had a cocktail there called uh, St. Amaro's Inferno, which I was a little bit dubious about at first because I was like, it sounds like the setup for a spicy cocktail. Thankfully, not a spicy yeah. cocktail. I confirmed. St. Amaro's um, Inferno. You, I will read you the description as presented on the menu because I think it's fun. Prosciutto washed mezcal. Interesting. Okay, that's weird. Amaro del Concilio, uh, which I was not familiar with. Amaro Zucco, which I was familiar with. Fig bitters and truffle oil. And I was like, well, I mean, we just talked about truffles and cocktails. Granted, not white truffle shaved in, but still. And I was very curious. Mm -hmm. So I ordered the drink. And actually, the way the truffle oil was integrated in the cocktail, I thought was really fascinating. The drink was served in a rocks glass with a single large uh, cube. And there was Mm -hmm. a dried fig that had been like sort of had some truffle oil sprinkled on it positioned on top of the cube and the bartender said you know you, you want to really like obviously if the thing gets into the drink that's fine but it's like we really use the truffle oil more for the aromatics to complement the yeah the flavors than to really like get into the drink proper uh-huh. and i was like well that makes some sense to me and it was really good i was really surprised at how tasty it was you know the savoriness from the prosciutto washed mezcal was good the, obviously it had some smokiness from the mezcal and uh, it was a really tasty drink and just kind of a fun thing to think about. And, and you know, I think we had talked about, uh, Adam, I think you brought up a cocktail you had a few weeks ago that mm-hmm. had uh, orange blossom water in it. And yep. we talked about sort of the, like these aromatic ingredients in cocktails. And 
uh, I think they have a place, but I really like them in this way where they're sort of really just used for their aromatics. They're not really integrated into the cocktail exactly. And it reminds me of how important that can be, you know, whether it's the, you know, a fresh sprig of mint on your julep or your mojito, or in this case, your uh, truffle oil applied to your dried fig, maybe less common than the mint. But uh, it's a really nice reminder that like that aromatic component of the garnish is actually can be a a thing that sets a cocktail off. And obviously, I guess we talk about like bitters on top of egg whites and certain cocktails, that kind of thing too, sort of fitting Mm. into this realm of adding a layer to the cocktail that you may or may not actually taste. So that was kind of the standout of the week for me, obviously had some other uh, fun things, but uh, I felt like I had to share that with you guys. What about you, Joanna? Yeah, I feel feel like that um, truffle oil integrated into the drink might have been overpowering. Or just really hard to balance because truffle oil is so strong. Like you just you yeah, kinda, exactly. Yeah, if you don't get it exactly right, yeah, it's all you'll taste. Um, for me, yeah, I I haven't had a ton of um, outstanding stuff this week. Uh, last weekend, we uh, went hiking upstate in New York outside of Peekskill, and we stopped at Peekskill Brewery on the way home. And is that on the, the east or the west side of the Hudson River? East. East. Mm-hmm. So you take the train. We drove. You drove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was only about like an hour and a half. Cool. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, got some Oktoberfest and some Pilsner. Nice. So that was good. And I don't, I don't know, felt appropriate for the season. <laughs> for the the Oktoberfest was really good. I don't know. It was, uh, I don't, I don't drink it often. I don't drink Oktoberfest beers ever. But I know people get really into them. Um, yeah. So I'm not like, good. I'm not a get into seasonal beers person. Oh, No. 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 Oh, you, you kind of strike me as that kind of person. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> Get out of the studio. Well, we know Adam's that feelings about pumpkin <laughs> You really think you're you're full of shit. Yeah, I'm right? just okay. joking. I took that really personally. <laughs> I know you're a, a haze boy, bro. What I mean, is it? I don't even really drink those anymore. I just, I don't really drink beer anymore. Yeah. Hayes boy is what Hayes it is. Boy. Right. Hayes boy. I do think that an Oktoberfest is a, can be a really good beer. You're kind of like uh, that category of beer I do enjoy and they do fit the season fairly well, but I, yeah, I, that's true. I, I think like, and I, and I will say too, like to me, the each season for beer has a great style of beer that I mostly enjoy in that season. But I don't think that I'm not like anxiously awaiting the release of, you know, of the Oktoberfest beer. Fresh hops, you are. Well, that one I, I that one I do wait for. That's true. But outside, yeah. of, outside of that, uh, yeah. But but I, I'm glad you you know I'm enjoyed it. And I think I think that is a like I said, it's a style of beer that that fits the season well. If you've got a nice crisp fall day, you know, a nice crisp fall beer yeah. like might go down well after yeah. a day of hiking. True. True. What about you, Adam? Jeez, what have I drank recently? Um, this one's a hard one because again, I don't really don't have anything that was very memorable either recently. Did you I, have a shot last night or something? I don't even know what it was called. <laughs> I was like, this, 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 I'm the, curious like, about a shot though. The like, bartender was like, "Oh, can we make you this shot?" And it was a Maro and lemon juice, and it was disgusting. Oh no! And I was just like, <laughs> and Tim and I both like, like because they knew that we were from Vine Pear, and uh-huh. they were like, "Oh, oh we love Vine Pear. We make you a shot." And we choked down. That's nice so, that yeah, they like I don't Vine want, Pear. I, but I don't want to name the bar because it, they were really nice people. But but I, but I thought. It, it was just a really bad shot. Like, who thinks Amaro and lemon juice? It was very, a lot of acid. That is the same. Um, but I've been making martinis at home. Mm-hmm. 
So that's been delicious. And then actually I did do one thing that was really fun. My in-laws were in town and my wife and her mom like wanted to go do a little shopping. And so I took my father-in-law to Manhattan, Mm -hmm. like right when it opened at four o'clock and he was like, he loves the city and loves doing all the historical stuff. So like, of course you're beautiful. Yeah. And so, um, I had just like their, uh, Astoria cocktail and he had the consider the cookie which is their black and white cookie cocktail. And he'd never had a cocktail like that before. And he just kept being like, this is the most delicious thing I've ever had. Adam, (laughs) how did they make this so good? This is the most delicious cocktail I've ever had. He just like went on and on and on. But I was very upset that always money is no longer on the cocktail list. (laughs) So if anyone from Manhattan is listening, could you put that back on? Because I'd really appreciate it. I was such a good cocktail. Do you feel like they thought it was maybe seasonal? I probably. Yeah. I didn't go into too much like investigative journalism. (laughs) (laughs) I just was like enjoying the view with my (laughs) father-in-law and like having a nice cocktail. What's the Astoria again? I can't remember. (sighs) I think it's the Astoria. It's like... Uh, two different, it's like a bunch of vermouths and some gin. It's like a light martini. Oh, oh okay. I'm pretty sure that's what I had. So I'm, I'm hoping it was the Astoria is actually what it was <laughs> named. Cause you know, they had that center of the cocktail book yes, where it's like New York, yeah, yeah. the Manhattan, the Brooklyn, the Astoria, the red hook. It's like, well, I mean, I, I get it. Brooklyn's the best. So we get two, <laughs> but you know, no other, no other borough gets two cocktails, but the Brooklyn does, which is funny. It's from Manhattan. But, uh, yes, yeah, so that's what I had. And that was really about it. Just taking some time off. I'm also getting ready for Italy. Yeah. You know, there'll be a lot of really delicious wine. So I've been trying to like not drink a lot. Recently, <laughs> you know, uh, so we wanted to talk today about something I think is on a, that's in the news a ton. Uh, and that is the recession and whether or not I'm not going to debate whether or not we're going to have a recession. Right. I think there's a lot of people who are still having that debate. I mean, you know, there was this really amazing analysis in the times recently about just, you know, what's going on with the recession and looking at the job market and some people saying, well, you know, there's so many jobs available still and there's still so much resignation that, you know, perhaps we're not going to have a recession because, you know, if employers still want to hire, then that usually indicates that there's money and demand and all that stuff. And if people are resigning from their jobs, that means they're resigning. Usually you don't resign to not have a job. You resign to have a a better job with more pay. So, we're not going to debate whether or not there's going to be a recession. We're going to take the – I think what will be interesting is to have this this um, conversation if there is one. So the conversation that we would need to – Assuming to there will is, be let's one. Let's assume there's a recession. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so then if we assume there's a recession, the conversation now that I want to have is what happens to this fine – this premium wine and spirits market? So you've had – boom in both, right? For a few years now. And you have lots of people who are divesting from lower end spirits and wines, buying higher end spirits and wines. I'm talking about the larger companies. Um, and you have this sort of belief that like, that's where the, the market is headed. And that may or may not be true. So I'm curious what both of you think, like, if we go into a recession, what will happen to premium wine and spirits? From a consumer point of view. Yes, from a consumer point of view. Let's, we're not going to talk about, <clears throat> you know, regular, like the business side. We will a little bit, but I, I don't care if, you know, Diageo buys another brand. Right. Right. It's more, will the consumer buy the brand Diageo buys? Well, I was just going to say, before we we go any further talking about what we think will happen in the future, I think we should spend a moment discussing what the sort of conventional wisdom surrounding um, consumer sure. behavior sure. and especially what consumer behavior regarding alcohol has been 
in prior recessions or periods where a recession might have been happening. And the general consensus and, and sort of conventional wisdom is that people drink their way through recessions. Like consumption does not stop. In fact, in some cases, it might even increase. But the general knowledge has been that people become much more price conscious, much more sensitive right. to that sort of thing, and therefore may look to, you know, whatever, depremiumize their drinking you know, looking for mm -hmm. more affordable options for lower, lesser premium options, you know, consuming at home more and going out less. And so I think we should start our conversation from the baseline that that's what the, I think, again, conventional wisdom is. And that's why people are curious to see and or have been predicting that this imminent recession is bad for this premiumization trend. Just wanted to put that out there before we went any further. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of speculation that it will, the category will, or super premium will continue to grow. It just won't mm -hmm. grow as much as yeah. we've seen it in the past couple of years. So what I think will happen is that people will continue to purchase super yeah. premium, but just not as much. And they'll balance it with other less premium offerings. Mm -hmm. You can't have it all the time. You can't have it exclusively if you if we're going through a recession. But you can still have it sometimes. And maybe we'll go back to seeing it more for celebrations. Hmm. So I think the one thing that no one has really talked about yet when it comes to this, re these recession predictions is uh, the impact of COVID. So basically what everyone keeps saying is sort of what Zach, you were saying, right? Like we've gone through them before. What we always know is that people drink and that is true. And I think that will, that will be yep. the case, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, the vices are, are usually pretty recession proof. You know, people are, are willing to buy less paper towels or do something else less first before they get rid of something that, get you know, helps them relax or that's part of being social, et cetera. Like alcohol is really one of the last things that people cut. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, what you'll hear some people say is the conventional wisdom says, yes, but they'll trade down a little. Right. So maybe they drink uh, X brand of bourbon. They'll buy the bourbon that's ten dollars cheaper mm -hmm. and say it's fine. Right. That I actually am not sure will happen this time. Okay. And the reason for that is I think this is going to be the recession that if it comes, I think what it hits really hard is on-premise. Yeah. Because consumers in COVID learned how to make cocktails, mm -hmm. how to cook, how to bake bread, and that – these nice bottles of wine and spirits that they were drinking at restaurants were a lot cheaper when they bought them off premise. Yeah. I think people are, uh, you know, hip to the markup yes. now and totally it's really it. bad. It feels really bad now. The yeah. Markup the markup too. is very high right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're seeing in Seattle, Zach, but like here it is very rare that you see restaurants with wine lists that have a lot of bottles under $75. Yeah. And That's that tough. is people are going to say, cool, I can go to the wine shop and I know that there are bottles for 30 bucks that I like that I can get two to three of for the price. I would be get one bottle here on your list. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go back to making martinis and Negronis at home and going to be just fine. Yep. Right. And have a nice time. And I'm not going to go out to dinner as much, and I'm definitely not going to have drinks out. And I think that is that is where, if I were in the on-premise business, I would be very cautious right now. If this happens, like, am I prepared? Because I think it really is going to hit 
much harder than it has in the past. Cause usually in the past people have kind of like traded down in both. Mm -hmm. But I think again, just from looking at the let through it through the lens of what COVID did, COVID taught everybody how to do this stuff at home. Mm. And I think that there's a lot more confidence in people's ability to do this at home. People bought wine fridges, people bought nice glassware, people have all these things now. And right now going out is more of a like part of living life, right? We're done. You know, people think, you know, the pandemic's passed, whatever, you know, it hasn't, but it has, you know, what, whatever you want to say about COVID. So they like going out to dinner now and it's a nice thing and it's fun and the restaurants are packed and that's great. But if a recession comes, they'll be more than happy to go right back to their houses and do what they had done before very confidently this time, which I think is really, really important to to note. Yeah, I also think this is wrapped up in the conversation we've been having around service and hospitality and restaurant staffing and that as well. Um, I think initially people were really happy to get back into restaurants, but yeah. perhaps at this point when they've had a few experiences that haven't been wonderful at restaurants it's it's an even better reason to stop going yeah i mean to to be at home and you're already seeing people who are you know starting to complain about the prices yeah and Mm -hmm. they're being prices and service on top of that is like yeah yeah well and i think the other thing that is important to note here is that in addition to a recession perhaps uh sort of lining up with uh behavioral changes that covid brought There's also the reality that a recession might be lining up with some other kinds of changes that we have seen in the drink space, which is, even though on the podcast, I think we have fairly been a little bit dubious of this notion that there's this huge group of people who are, you know, really trying to be, you know, either mostly sober or or like, you know, drinking in a limited fashion. I do think that there's this this thing that, that you see in recessions, and it is probable that we'll see it in this one as well, which is... You know, people don't say, well, I'm going to cut this thing out of my life entirely, be it drinking, going out, whatever, but I'm going to cut back. I'm going to, I'm going to reduce the amount mm-hmm. I do this because it feels more manageable to, to cut my spending on this thing that I enjoy a little bit than to excise it entirely. And I right. do think that we might see that across all channels. That might be a, both a, uh, on-premise and off-premise thing and might feed into this sustained success of premium categories because when people are going to drink they may decide you know what yeah i'm only going to drink three nights a week but those three nights i'm going to have a 40 dollar bottle of wine because in the end it's not it's still less than me going you know having a 20 dollar bottle of wine every night say or i'm going to have a nice bottle of bourbon i'm not going to go you know i'm going to drink a little less of it or with less frequency than Mm. a cheaper bottle and drink more and that that I think is one possibility. The other thing I would say too is that in in this question of you know people going out and their behavior in restaurants and bars and stuff like that is, I also think that you're going to see if we're not seeing it already. You know, we talked about markups and menu prices as being one way in which businesses are responding to the current economic environment and climate. Another one, and I don't know exactly how this will play out, but I, I again think I'm seeing it more here in Seattle where the restaurant market industry has never been as robust as it is in New York Mm -hmm. and has never been as sort of just vibrant. I mean, it's a good restaurant scene, but it's not New York City is a lot of places limiting hours, you know, less Mm. being open fewer days, you know, kind of in the way that 
they were in the early return from COVID, you know, when people were dining only outside or they had limited mm-hmm. capacity inside, you had limited hours because you had just limited, you know, either people, there was a limited audience because a lot of people were uncomfortable going out or whatever. I think you will see, especially once we get through the holiday season, um, when, you know, I think people will still expect, you know, a fair bit of going out and revelry. But in January and February and March, I think you're going to see a lot of places cut back on hours where they can, you know, limit to maybe four dinner services a night or a week rather, and maybe limited hours because like all the costs that go along with it are so high. And if consumers are not eager to go out and spend money and not just go out and eat, but go out and drink again, to talk about what you said at the outset, Adam, you know, this, this question of whether people are willing to pay restaurant and bar prices for drinks, you know, that that's what has traditionally floated restaurant, uh, bottom yeah. lines right is is the drinks program and i think that as we've been pointing out that fact has become more acutely clear to the broad drinking public in a way that it never was pre-covid and so a recession where people are maybe feeling a little bit more insecure about finances or just wanting to be more cautious is only going to kind of heighten that tension and that person might decide you know what do i need another 18 dollar cocktail maybe not do i need another 75 right. dollar bottle of wine Maybe not. Maybe I'm still want to go out to eat because I don't want to cook because I'm not I I may have dabbled in it in COVID. But you know what? I realized I fucking hate it or I'm bad at it or I don't like doing dishes or I don't like going grocery shopping or whatever. But the truth is that for most restaurants, food is not a profit center. You know, it's at best break even. Yeah. Often it's a, a loss leader. Right. And if and if people are making the decision to, to not drink out or to drink less out, that's going to create, again, real problems for on premise that I think won't have anything to really do with premiumization and it will have to do with the financial model for the restaurant industry in this country. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, uh, especially because as we're all sort of noting, I think the desire will be to drink at home, but I do think that at home, the drinks will be premium. I don't think, so that's the other thing is I think a lot of consumer behavior, this idea that consumers trade down hasn't been as strongly proven in drinks. Like you're usually loyal to, like if you're a, a doers drinker, you usually stay a doers drinker. It just like, feels like it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Once so, you have something really good. Right. Like if you've decided that you like Napa cabs, you're probably not going to substitute and you, you've drank that. Like maybe Napa cabs, like the, the, the wines you're drinking, right? You're used to them. You probably are not going to say, you know what? I've heard Paso is a good substitute. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to keep drinking Napa cabs. Like that's just what you're going to do. And that's the same with most of these these categories. Like I, I just – you're going to find people who say like this is what I like. This is what I'm going to drink. And they just won't drink them out. But they'll yeah. continue to drink them. So I think the, the – I think – in the world of premiumization, like we're on that trend now. The this, you know, millennials and Gen Z and Gen X are all trading up from what they're at the price points that their parents paid. Mm-hmm. And that's just gonna stay that way. It just depends on where they trade up, right? Do they trade up on premise or do they just abstain from drinking on premise? And do they drink nicely at home? But I think the idea of them drinking nicely is now what they're Used to. Used to. Mm-hmm. Right. When they drink, they drink nicely, right? We've said this a bunch over the years, right? It's fewer, better things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's this idea of everything amongst, especially the millennial and Gen Z, it's like fewer, better clothes, right? So higher end jeans, buy two or three pairs. You don't have to have 20 pairs. It's like 
nicer jacket one, right? right. It's, it's more, it's higher end staples, but and premium. And that is a trend that's been going on in, in things like fashion for the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, I think what we're seeing happen in alcohol as well. And I don't see how that just immediately the person who, you know, drinks with, you know, a, a nice, I don't know, bourbon is all of a sudden like, you know what? I'm going to trade down to, I don't, I don't want to Well, just, it doesn't even matter. A less brand, nice just, bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a, che- just, a bottom level, a bottom shelf spirit, sure. you know, a bottom shelf brown whiskey, mm-hmm. right? Like they're just not going to do that. That yeah. this is, this is the one pleasure they have. Yeah. And I think right. part of it too, is that in a way that has never been, or not never, but a way that has been less true in this country in the past for, for people, for a lot of people, what they choose to drink has become a part of their self-identity in the same way that, as you pointed out, Adam, the shoes and clothes and things they choose to wear became Mm -hmm. a part of people's identity. And we accept that in fashion, you know, someone might, yeah, make the decision to buy fewer pairs of jeans, but if they're a, you know, I don't know the high-end jeans companies very well or brands very well, but like if they're, if they have a, if they have a brand that they're, uh, you know, they believe in or that they feel like is, you know, connected to them in some way, they're just going to, yeah, they're going to not buy a new pair as often. They're going to maybe take a little better care of them, et cetera. And I think the same is very much true with drinks. If you become per- the person who, you know, believe, you know, really has uh, interest in having the bourbon collection or the tequila collection or whatever, right? You're not going to suddenly decide that actually you just will take anything that says tequila on it and costs $18. Like that's just not going to be how you see yourself. And so your decision will be to, like I said, either to just suck it up and that's the thing that you continue mm-hmm. to spend money on, or, you know, you, you'll drink a little less, you'll buy a little less, but you're not going to suddenly revert to, you know, a, a much less expensive version of, you know, sort of a, the equivalent of a, of a knockoff brand in that category. And so mm-hmm. I, I have one last question in this, or I have a question in this vein for you guys too, because I think it's something that, that is really interesting as it, uh, kind of comes in conflict with this mm-hmm. conventional wisdom about recessions. It's like, I assume you guys like me have been, I feel like recently barraged with um, a lot of press releases and, and sort of information about a lot of really high end kind of collaborations yeah. on products, which I mean, look, it's not to say that individual brands or companies can't misjudge the market. And, you know, some of these could be, ideas that they thought would be good and now they're like oh shit we're putting this out in the into a, a hostile market but i i tend not to believe that i think you know these companies generally have a pretty good idea of where the economy and where the market is going and so the fact that they're releasing these 300 400 bottles of spirits that are you know these kind of cross collaborations or just you know special bottles etc you know the these wineries are putting especially like these california you know napa wineries are putting out these you know sort of again high-end products that are again kind of collaborations some of them might be connected to like cryptocurrency it's a little weird to me but again who am i to, to judge i, I think that NFTs you're seeing... are stupid <laughs> yes that that not the purview of this specific conversation but um i i just am i'm curious if you, either of you have thoughts on that or if it just feels like another sign that whatever this recession is going to bring it's not what previous recessions have brought in beverage alcohol so what's the question again? <laughs> well, it's like, what do we think of collaborations? Collaborations. Well, just like, do we think Hot that collabs? are these not? I don't want to talk about collaborations as a whole. I think that's another conversation entirely. But just assuming you're seeing all these product releases and announcements that are, you know, multiple hundreds of dollars a bottle for what, yep. say, spirit or wine, 
is that a sign that these companies as a whole are like, yeah, we don't, we're not scared of this recession. We think there's, we think people are. I think so. Yeah. I think 100% it's a sign. It's not just the people who are buying a $50 bottle of bourbon, but it's people buying a $300 bottle that are being served by these kind of products. Yeah. I think that they're saying like, there's still demand. We're going to fill it. And there clearly is. And usually in, and also, you know, it's also worth noting that usually in recessions, the high end, the, the the top tier of the population still does very well. Yeah. They're, you know, they still have usually lots of capital. It's the the lower end and sort of the middle that mm-hmm. gets get the most, get fucked, yeah. if you will. Yeah. But that's where I think that this one's going to be a little more interesting because I do think the middle class will still continue, who is fueling the true rise in premiumization, I think will still continue to drink premium just at home. I think it's going to be really fascinating, but I think you're going to see a lot of people who feel very comfortable doing that and are like, cool, like I don't need to budget two drinks, you know, two nights of treat myself nights out a week to get a good cocktail. I know how to make a good cocktail at home. I'm just going to revert to doing that and I can have a nice cocktail four nights a week or five nights a week. Yeah, It's going to be really interesting, but I I do think COVID really did that. So, Well, I feel like for me, it's, yeah, I will go out and have those experiences like far less frequently. Yeah, no. I think it's interesting. Let us know what you think. Podcastofimepair.com. What are you going to do if it comes for you? <laughs> but I don't know if it's going to. That's the thing. It's so weird. The whole, the whole conversation is so weird. But yeah, let us know what you think. Podcastofimepair.com. And I'll chat with you both on Friday. Have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.